When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Flush. I'm your host, Hiva, and we have such a fun episode planned. Okay, do I start every episode like this? Like, is it losing meaning? Like, is it, should I stop saying that we have a fun episode planned? Like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how else to start it. Maybe I should redo this. We're starting with a very strange energy. Okay, you know what? We're going to shift gears because... We have, it's the last Tuesday of the month, so we have a Q&A episode and there's some really great questions. But first, I have to tell this story because I really need feedback on whether this is the craziest thing you've ever heard in your entire life or if it's just me. So yesterday, my partner Ozzy is like, hey, um, my friend, he has a friend who's in town right now from Australia. And so he's like, we were talking about getting dinner. Like, do you want to come? I really want you to hang out with him. And I was like, no, I don't really feel like coming. Um, I've had this whole thing <laughs> this past week where I've convinced myself that I'm pregnant. <laughs> I'm not. I mean, I don't know. Obviously, how would I know? I mean, I have taken multiple negative pregnancy tests. So one would think that that would assuage all of my fears. But of course, it hasn't even come close to doing so. Like the way that I still am convinced that I'm pregnant. By the way, by the way, by the way, you want to know how all this started? The other day, my trainer was over and she's like, are you late? And I was like, oh, no, not only am I not late, I'm actually actively bleeding. And she's like, well, then why do you think you're pregnant? And basically, it's because I was actually a little bit early in my cycle. And so I've convinced myself that it was implantation bleeding because the type of blood is also different from the way my period usually starts. Um, So I've convinced myself that it's implantation bleeding and that I'm with child. And no amount of negative pregnancy tests, quite frankly, are going to convince me otherwise because... I've done a really good job at telling myself, well, the pregnancy test isn't picking it up yet because it's too early in my pregnancy. So you heard it here first. I am carrying a little demon. (laughs) Um, I can't wait for it to come out and ruin my life. I'm just kidding. I'm probably not pregnant. But um, so yesterday he's like, do you want to come to dinner? And I was like, no, I really... I'm not in the mood. I, you know, I'm either pregnant or um, on day one of my period and I just want to rest, but you should go. And he's like, yeah, are you sure you don't want to come? I was like, yeah, totally. So he goes, he comes back kind of late and I'm in bed. And (laughs) so I was like, hey, how was it? And he's like, oh my God, it was so great. And he's like going on and on and on about all these various things and how he like really wants me to hang out with his friend. And so he invited him over for this weekend and um, you know, like all these things. And then I'm like, oh, what did you guys eat? And he's like, oh, we got these steak sandwiches. They were pretty good. And I was like, 
oh, a steak sandwich. Like, what was on it? And he's like, I don't know, like normal stuff. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, no, like normal sandwich stuff. I was like, normal sandwich stuff? Like, what? Like, like, so I'm listing things. I'm like, was there cheese? He's like, I don't know. And I was like, were there like like fried onions, caramelized onions, some kind of onions? He's like, yeah, I don't know. I was like, w- like what kind of sauces were on it? He's like, no, I'm not sure. I was like, lettuce, like what, like tomato? He's like, yeah, there was tomatoes. Like what, like what do you mean you don't know? Like what, like let me put it like this: if there was even one percent, one tenth of one percent of me that questioned at all in any capacity, if this man is cheating on me last night, I would have been like, he's definitely fucking someone. He made this whole thing up. He never had food. There was never a steak sandwich. Like it blows my mind that a person could go sit down somewhere, look at a menu, not even read it. Like the way that I, when I sit down, I read a menu. I study the menu. I might take notes on the menu. I might take a fucking photo of the menu with my phone so that I can refer to it later when I'm at home. Like I don't, like I cannot even conceive of, but then the entire time in between ordering food and the food arriving, I'll be thinking about the food. And then the entire time that I'm eating, I'll be paying attention to every single flavor that enters my mouth and how they're interlacing, how they're interacting, how they're playing nice with each other. And then with each bite that I swallow, I think about every fucking thing that I just swallowed. And then the entire time after I finish the food, all I'll be thinking about is the food. And then as soon as I get home, I'll be recounting what I ate in in detail to anyone who will listen quite frankly like I cannot I can like are are we just different types of people because I can't and you know what I've heard this before there are people who eat to live and there are people who live to eat and obviously like you want to eat to live right like it's not great for your whole life to fixate around food and I'm not saying that that's how it should be but I am saying like Am I crazy or is he crazy? Because like one of us is crazy, right? Or he's he's definitely fucking someone else. I mean, that's without question. He's definitely sleeping with someone else because there is no way you could go out and eat a sandwich and know this little about the sandwich, right? By the way, he has no idea that I think this is as funny as I think it is. I mean, the conversation died kind of quickly and then he went to pee and I ran to the living room. I grabbed my phone and I wrote down Aussie sandwich in my notes for today's episode because I was like, I have to fucking talk about this. Like, this is nuts, right? I'm going to put a poll on the bot, like on the show notes. Like, you guys, like, right? Like, you pay more attention to what you're eating. And you know what I actually think it is? I think he was having a really good time. And I've been there. I've had like a handful of nights like that in my life where maybe more than a handful, but not like hundreds, you know, like it is kind of the minority where I'm having so much fun where I don't even care about food. I don't even care what the fuck else is going on. I'm just trying to have fun. You know what? Um, If you've been listening for a minute, you might recall last month I was in Miami for a week. And the first night that I was in Miami, I said I got really, really drunk. 
that was one of those nights for me where I was just having so much fun that I didn't really care about food. Like I needed some level of food to like stay alive, but I cared so little about the food that I didn't even eat nearly enough. And then I ended up getting way too drunk. So honestly, maybe this is not the way to live, but, (laughs) but it's just, Uh, Like I, you know what, I think what we should all manifest for ourselves in 2024 is to live life so fully that we're not fixating on what we're eating or what we're wearing or like all these things that like, don't get me wrong. I care about all of these things. Like I love clothes. I love food. Like I love all of these things, right? I'm not saying we shouldn't care about these things. No, like If that's your thing, you should care about it. But I guess sometimes I notice that I care a lot more than I should about these things. And the reason that I care more than I should is because there isn't enough like fun and excitement coming from other sources. So I have to create fun and excitement through like eating, for example. You know what I mean? Um, So, yeah, I don't know. A, I just wanted to share the story because I thought it was like truly the craziest conversation I've ever, ever had in my entire life. What do you, you don't know if there were onions or not. Like there are 12 different ways there could have been onions on the sandwich. Like a nice, super caramelized onion. Beautiful, stunning. What about if they were like, um, not shoestring fries, but you know what I'm talking about? Those like crispy things thin where it's like thinly sliced and breaded onions those onions on a steak sandwich beautiful stunning um what else I mean I guess they could have like roasted onions or something it could have been thicker onion rings there could have been raw onions I mean there are so many I I quite frankly would have liked to see multiple different types of onions on the sandwich I'd like to see a little cheese you know what I fuck with the blue cheese and steak blue cheese steak. By the way, I am vegan, but you know, I didn't come out of the womb vegan. I remember, I remember what steaks are like. Here's what I think would be the perfect steak sandwich. Again, I wish I knew more about what the fuck was on his, but I don't. So whatever. Here's what I think would be the perfect steak sandwich. It has some caramelized onions. Um, I want some kind of like creamy Dijon type sauce on it. Um, obviously the steak, I'd like it to be bloody. I'd like it to be really juicy. Um, I already said caramelized onions. Um, you know what else I'd like on there? Maybe, um, some thinly sliced raw red onions and, and maybe some crispy fried onions. So like three types of onions we're working with right now. I'd like some like Swiss cheese on there. I'd also like some blue cheese. Um, What else? Tomatoes, obviously. Like, don't even fucking talk to me about a sandwich that doesn't have tomatoes. Yeah, that might be it. Creamy Dijon. Like, a really creamy and, like, a sharp kind of Dijon type of vibe. I don't know. Maybe arugula. Arugula could, like, a little pepper kick on there. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Maybe other stuff. I don't I, I've actually lost interest in this, but I think it's fucking weird. I mean, give me your feedback. Like, do you, it's weird. It's objectively weird. It's, again, if there was even one tiny ounce of me that questioned his fidelity, 
I would for sure say he was fucking someone else last night. The only reason I don't think that is because like, A, I don't think he's the cheating type. B, I think that he loves me so much that he really would never do anything to hurt me like that. C, um, he was trying to get me to go to the dinner. So it would be, it would be like an odd move <laughs> if he was cheating. D, he invited the guy that he allegedly had this meal with over for this weekend. And do you know what I'm going to do this weekend? The first thing I'm going to ask this motherfucker is, like, what the fuck was on that steak sandwich? Like, you, like, are you living your life with blindfolds on too, like my boyfriend is? Or are you paying attention to what you're eating like a grown-ass man should? No, really, I'm so happy for them, though. And I'm jealous. Like, I'm jealous. I don't remember other than Miami night one of Miami. I don't remember the last time I was having so much fun that I didn't even pay attention to what I was eating. And like I said, I'm calling in that energy for 2024 for all of us. Okay, let's get right into the content because we have some good stuff and uh, there are some great questions and I really want to get to all of them. But before we do that, we're going to do word of the week, which is inveterate. Inveterate means having a particular habit, activity, or interest that is long established and unlikely to change. He was an inveterate gambler. Um, long established and unlikely to change. Okay, yeah. Uh, the inveterate hostility between the two countries was not easily eradicated. Wow, that's a good use. And I think we can all think of two countries that have some inveterate, what was it, conflict? <laughs> what did it say? Inveterate hostility. Yeah, we can think of some, right? Uh, not to name names. Okay, um, let's get right into the questions. Question number one, how did you work through your abandonment wound? Okay, so first I want to like, yes, I had extreme, extreme, extreme fear of abandonment. And before I get into how I worked through it, I want to talk a little bit about fear of abandonment because I think this is a concept that's really misunderstood. And I know I used to really not understand it. And therefore I was really struggling to work through the fear of abandonment because of my misunderstanding of it. So I always assumed, and I think most people think that fear of abandonment comes usually if you've experienced some sort of abandonment in your life. And the thing is that that's not necessarily true. And it's often actually a little bit the opposite. So Well, two things. Number one, there's different types of abandonment. So even if you weren't physically abandoned ever, it's possible that you had parents that emotionally abandoned you in some way, like they emotionally were unable to attune to your needs. So that's a type of abandonment. But then moreover, the bigger thing that I see very often is people think like, oh, if I have this fear of abandonment that I was abandoned in some way, which could be the case, but more often than not, fear of abandonment actually comes from almost like a lack of abandonment. It's like the polar opposite. So really what happens is if you had parents who really um, were overbearing and too controlling and um, were 
fulfilling their own need for emotional intimacy through you and at the expense of your needs for independence and autonomy and bodily autonomy and things like that, that causes fear of abandonment a lot more than like the parent who's just absent. The parent who's just absent tends to raise someone who actually is afraid of intimacy. It's kind of the opposite, right? Because like if all you've experienced growing up is abandonment, you don't really fear it anymore. You already know what it's like. You've already dealt with it. What you actually fear is the thing that you didn't really get to experience, which is intimacy, love, and connection. But when you grow up in a household where your natural need for independence and autonomy is not honored, and instead it's constantly responded with more connection, forced connection, then you start to not trust your own needs. You start to not trust your own desires. You tend to not trust your own beliefs, your wants, your needs, all of these things. You learn to self-abandon because, you know, you'll you in your own way as a child were expressing your needs for autonomy and independence, you know, maybe not like clearly and verbally like that, but in your own child way you were. And those needs were chronically ignored by your caretakers who instead were fixating on fulfilling their own needs for intimacy and connection through overly connecting with you. And so then you start to not trust your own kind of rationality and you learn the message that connection is the most important thing and that if you're not physically connected with you know your attachment partner at all times then there's danger there so then you grow up into an adult who is trying to you know have intimate romantic relationships with other adults but you still have this programming in your brain that separation is dangerous and connection must be had at all times and so anytime there is sort of any sort of separation your brain starts to freak out that there's danger ahead and so that's really what the fear of abandonment is it's not it doesn't usually come from actually having been abandoned again the kids who were more so abandoned tend to actually be afraid of any sort of intimacy. So really understanding that root is really, really important. And then really the basic formula that I use to get through it, and which is what I teach in the Blush Academy now, is to first regulate your nervous system. And that's just because A, a lot of these feelings live in dysregulated nervous system states. So if you're just a more regulated person, you're going to experience the fear of abandonment a lot less than someone who's chronically dysregulated. But also the other reason and frankly, the bigger reason for working on the nervous system piece first is because a lot of these things are based on unresolved trauma and you can only work through unresolved trauma to the extent that your nervous system is dysregulated. So if you're in a really dysregulated state, you're not going to be able to pull up these traumatic memories and you're not going to be able to work through them. So I always, always say work through the nervous system piece first. Once you get to a better place with your nervous system, 
then you want to start working through all of the unresolved trauma. So for example, if you had parents who like never let you go on sleepovers and, um, you know, all your friends went on sleepovers and everyone was bonding at the sleepovers and you had to miss most of them. I mean, you could have friends over at your place to sleep over, but you never got to go. And the ones that were at other people's places, everyone would have all these inside jokes and you would have so much FOMO and it was this shitty thing. That's a type of childhood trauma that you then would work through, right? Um, you know, if like every time that you wanted to like sign up for a new sport, your parents were like, no, 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 don't do it. You're going to hurt yourself. That's a type of childhood trauma. Again, none of these are really severe forms of trauma. They're not like abusive things that happened. Like no one was intending to hurt anyone. Nevertheless, they can be quite traumatic for a child. So you'd want to work through all of these bits of unresolved trauma to like really process the trauma. And then the third step is to reimagine a new childhood where you had the upbringing of parents, like with parents who were really attuned to your needs, who were both really physically present for you, but also emotionally were giving you that need for independence and autonomy that you needed growing up. So that's really the three-step plan. It's what I teach in the Blush Academy. It's what I did that works for me. And it's what, you know, all the Blush Academy members have been doing and seeing massive results with. If you want a more um, systemic, um, not systemic, sorry, systematic, <laughs> if you want a more systematic, step-by-step -step kind of way of working through this, I do really recommend signing up for the Blush Academy, and it is the last Tuesday of the month, so at the end of every month, we do a giveaway. I'll talk about it at the end, but you could win a membership to the Blush Academy, so I do recommend you know, entering the giveaway to win a membership. Um, but yeah, look into that. Oh, and also, even if we don't, if you don't win the giveaway, until the end of this month, 11.59 p.m., I have the Black Friday sale going on for the Blush Academy membership. So you can do the annual membership or the month-to-month -month for 40% off. Um, it is the discount code is just Black Friday, all caps, Black Friday. So yeah, take advantage of that. Um, okay, moving right along to question number two. Oh, I love this one. Okay. I'm dating someone for around a year now, but it only got very close within the last few months. I didn't take him seriously in the beginning, but I went through a rough time and noticed that he has really been there for me and a great friend and support. We've gotten quite close now. I love spending time with him, and he's the first man in years I'm seeing on a regular basis who I would consider aligned to me and what I need in a partner. He's very committed and dedicated, which is very beautiful. I do like things to continue, but what I also always wanted is someone super hot with great style. I know how that sounds, lol. Even though he is attractive and I'm attracted to him, he doesn't care about fashion or invest much in his looks. That is bothering me a bit in the back of my mind. Aesthetic, beauty, and curation are very important to me. Since I don't want to change him, what am I going to do? Should I invest more in my looks to balance it out? Am I too superficial here? And is my ego looking for validation in the wrong places? Or should I uh, look and ask for, for a person that is both? 
Okay. I love this question. And before I get into anything else, I really just want to applaud the self-awareness and the honesty with this question. I remember when I like first was really in this like kind of wellness woo-woo space and like really doing a lot of inner work and stuff. I thought that there were certain things that I just like what like I was like, oh, I don't care about clothes. I don't care about this. I don't care about that because I just thought they were like ego driven and like materialistic and I was above it. And then, you know, over the past few years, like really getting clear on who I authentically am, I realized how much I fucking love aesthetics. By aesthetics, I don't necessarily mean like people's looks or things like that. I more I think it's the same thing that this um, listener was saying, like I am into like curation and like colors and just like the aesthetics of things, like even like look at my foods, like look at my Instagram feed, look at the blush Instagram feed, like Everything is really curated. Aesthetics are really fucking important to me. And on that note, I actually think I'm the perfect person to answer this question because, again, I'm obsessed, obsessed with with aesthetics, like obsessed to the point where certain things are so like our um, cabinet that has all of our like plates and cups and stuff, A, everything is handmade ceramic. Everything is handmade ceramic. B, they're organized in such a meticulous fashion. Like my pantry, like I have drawers and drawers and drawers filled with Fido jars that have like all of my herbs and pantry items in it. And it's like beautifully aesthetically sorted. My closet is like perfectly color schemed, like separated by textures and like styles. Like it's, it's perfection. Like I'm obsessed with aesthetics, obsessed. That being said, Ozzy, Ozzy's like closet is so not what I would pick. Like it's so not what I would pick. Like the way, like he I mean, some of his stuff is really cute and others of it is whatever, but like, it's not like I would not describe him as like a curated person at all, especially with his personal style. Now, I am very attracted to him and I like that you actually said that you're attracted to this guy because I think if you weren't attracted to him, we'd have a much bigger problem here, right? Like if you were like, he's great, he's amazing, blah, blah, but like, his face just like doesn't hit right for me. Like, should I get past it or not? That would be a much trickier situation to address than what's actually happening here. Um, I listen, I don't know exactly what your situation here is. I will say it's really important to be attracted to your partner, but it's also important to not seek validation, to not seek a sense of self-worth, to not seek relief from your own insecurities through a partner, right? This reminds me, um, you know, when I was like in middle school and high school, I remember I always said like, oh, I really want a guy who has a six pack, which is so funny because I like could not care less about that shit now. In fact, like, no, <laughs> like the way that I try to fatten Ozzy up so that he stops having a six pack because I don't like his abs being better than mine. <laughs> but 
looking back, I can see very clearly that the reason that I wanted a guy with a six pack is because I was insecure about my own looks and a six pack was just this arbitrary thing. Like one of my friends once made a comment about like guys with six packs. And so I internalized that as like, that's, that's the desirable goal. And so I thought like, okay, if I could get a guy who has a six pack to be into me, then that would validate my own existence, right? That would validate that I am attractive. That would validate that I am cool. That would validate that I am interesting or whatever else. And so to me, just hearing like what you said, especially because you said you are actually attracted to him and it's more like these kind of, um, you know, like he's like the way he dresses and stuff. That's the issue. It does sound to me like this is a situation of your own insecurities, quite frankly. Um, I would do two things. Number one, also, I just want to commend you for not just the self-awareness, but also saying that you don't want to change him, right? Because I think there are a lot of girls that would be like, oh, but clothes are so changeable. Like you can easily change that. And listen, down the line, if you guys stay together, like it's so easy to just start buying him things here and there. I mean, like most dudes kind of up level when they're in relationships because of the presence of a woman in their lives. So that's a very real thing. Um, but because we're not going to focus on that, like this isn't like a how to get your man to dress better type thing. We're going a little bit deeper. I would do two things. Number one, really focus on stepping into the full aesthetics curation life that you want within yourself. So look through your closet. Do you own things that you don't really like? Get rid of them. Do you wear things like even on your like sweatpants, whatever kind of days? Are you like, are you, are you wearing like a cute sweat set that like you're proud of and that's like within your style? Or are you just wearing like, you know, your ex-boyfriend's ratted up t-shirt? change those things out. Is your home organized the way that you like? Is, you know, your kitchen cabinet, your fridge, your bathroom, your closet, is everything organized the way that you like? Does your social media feed, your, I don't know, your computer files, your journal, whatever else you use on a regular basis, are these up to snuff to the aesthetics that you like, that you want in your life. Like fix all of these elements of your life. Everything that you do, everything that you buy, everything that you eat, every single thing, take it through this lens of like, okay, would this fit my highest self and the life that I want for myself? So yeah, number one, focus on the aesthetics for yourself. Number two, and this is more important, I would do some trauma work around this. Has there ever been an incident in your life where someone made a comment about your looks, your clothes, or something else that intersects with aesthetics for you? Or even if they didn't make a comment, has anyone ever said something that you interpreted in some way or even like just made a sound or a face or an eye roll or just anything in your life that you can think of? Like I would take out a journal and do this like in morning pages. So every morning before you get out of bed, before you do anything else, pull out your journal and answer this question. Just write three pages, stream of consciousness, Never have the pen stop moving, but three pages and just ask yourself, 
when have I felt like my looks, my aesthetics, my curation, my whatever else you want to fill in here wasn't up to par? What incidents had me feeling that way? It could be that like you once heard someone make a comment about someone else, be like, oh my God, her jeans are so ugly. And then you look down and you realized your jeans kind of looked like that. And then it imprinted this thing in your head that like maybe, you know, you don't have great style and like maybe you don't have good taste and like maybe you're not like attractive and like blah, blah, right? Like I would imagine that there's some kind of limiting belief in your own life. There's some kind of insecurity that came up from some kind of childhood experience where you're feeling unsure about your own relationship with looks and aesthetics and beauty and things like that. And now you're seeking to be validated through someone else. Like it's this funny thing that happens also when we start dating someone once like it becomes more established, they kind of become an extension of us. And that can be a good thing and it can be a bad thing, right? Like I know like for me, for example, once I start getting really close to someone, my like not only will I make self-deprecating jokes, but I'll make jokes about them. And it's not that I'm trying to make fun of them. It's actually like almost a compliment to them. It's like I now consider us so close that you're basically me. And so instead of making fun of myself, I'm now making fun of you. It's really a compliment, actually. You're welcome. But so I think it's something like that going on there, right? Like you're now established enough with this person where you're not just insecure about yourself, you're insecure about them because they are in essence a reflection of you. But I think that it's so important to let our partners be themselves and like, Like I said, I've not once, not once in my life been like, I wish Ozzy dressed different or whatever. And in fact, he's brought it up to me a few times. He's like, do you care if I wear this? Like, I don't want to look too like slabby next to you or like whatever. And I'm like, nah, babe, like you wear what you want to wear. The only reason I even remotely care about what he wears is like, sometimes I just would like him to match me. Um, for no other reason other than I like a monochromatic vibe. And so I'd like all of us to match each other. I mean, I just got Sam, my dog, this sweater that's very similar to a sweater that I have. And I want all three of us to wear matching sweaters. Or, you know, she has a camel colored coat and I have a camel colored coat and Ozzy has a camel colored coat. And I really like it when all three of us wear our camel colored coats at the same time. But I've never felt like I know what you're talking about, but I've never felt that towards him. So and I'm really obsessed with aesthetics. So like if I've never felt that towards him, I think there's something deeper going on here. So yeah, that's my two cents. Um, Would love an update, please. For all of the questions, please send in updates. Wow, time is really going by, huh? Ooh, okay. I took the nervous system dysregulation archetype quiz and I got predominantly frustrated Fran, which tracks. I also resonate with worried Wanda, which I got 13% for. I find that I tend to fawn in people please with people I work with and my friends, but I get irritable with people I'm closer to, like my husband and my mom. Is it possible to have a different dysregulation archetype for different people? Yes. It is possible, but I don't think that's what's going on here. Let me explain. Um, So the nervous system dysregulation archetype quiz, 
really a mouthful, essentially finds what your predominant stress response is. And what I mean by a stress response is the way that you react when you have nothing left, when you have no juice left to censor yourself, to filter yourself, to try, you know, like most of us, most of the time, most of us, (laughs) most of the time, control ourselves in some way, shape, or form, right? Like if someone says something that pisses you off, you usually bite your tongue or like do something, you know, you're usually not going to like fully unleash. Like if some, like if you like stub your toe, you usually don't fully lose it, right? Like most of the time we're controlling ourselves, we're, um, you know, controlling our emotions, we're not completely flying off the handle. But eventually we all hit a point where we just cannot anymore, right? Think of like the day where you got no sleep and then you spilled your coffee and then you were out of eggs so you didn't get to have breakfast. And so now you're at work, you're already 10 minutes late, you already have a stressful day, you have four meetings lined up, you're late to your first meeting, everyone's mad at you, you're hungry because you didn't get to eat, you're um, you know, uh, going through caffeine withdrawals because you spilled your coffee everywhere, you're pissed off because you ruined your favorite shirt. You have all of these things going on and then the workday just gets worse and worse and worse and worse and then you get home and like let's say you ran out of gas on the way home and then like you got a flat tire and so you get home really fucking late and you still haven't eaten and you're so hungry and you just cannot anymore and then a telemarketer calls you and you just cannot anymore when however you react in that moment that is what we're after And it is different for different people. And certainly it's normal to have different stress responses to different situations. But usually we have a predominant response. And that's what that test is testing for. Most people on the face of this planet, if they're in that situation where I just ran through, where all of that shit went wrong, are not going to be people pleasing with that telemarketer. The vast majority of people will not. The vast majority of people are going to get angry, get upset, get irritated, say something snarky, maybe just hang up the phone, um, maybe just like kind of like shut down, lose it, like freeze, like just start shaking. Most people are not going to be people pleasing in that scenario. Fawning is an extremely, extremely rare type of stress response. It's the newest discovered one. It's the least researched one. But it's also, listen, we all do some level of people pleasing throughout our lives, right? It's a trauma response. It's a learned response. And it's something that for our generation was actually really reinforced a lot, like really positively reinforced. Like usually if we acted like people pleasers, we were rewarded for that behavior. And so we learned, okay, like this is something you should be doing. And to a certain extent, you kind of should be, right? To a certain extent, you want to be a somewhat agreeable person. And so there is some element of people pleasing that I think is just functional and normal in life. But it's when it gets out of hand that it becomes problematic. But again, most people are not people pleasing 
as a stress response, right? Most people aren't people pleasing when they hit that wall where they just cannot anymore. In fact, most of us people please until we hit that wall and we just cannot anymore. So your question, my instinct is that it's not the, you don't have the fawn response as your stress response. You're actually like the coworkers and the friends and stuff that you do a lot of fawning with, I'm guessing are actually incidents that are chipping away at your window of tolerance, but your true actual stress response is the response that you're showing with your husband and your mother where you get irritated. That's when you just fucking can't anymore and you snap and you lose it. And again, like there are different things for different people, but most of us, it's not fawning. Just it, it, it does happen for some people. It tends to be the result of pretty severe and specific types of abuse, if that makes sense. Um, so yeah, my instinct is that it's not a stress response for you. It's just a learned behavior. It, it, it is a trauma response, but it's not that like the way that your body naturally reacts when you just can't control yourself anymore. Let me know if that makes sense. Let me know if you have further questions about this. That's a really good question. And I think that that's probably a really relatable one for everyone. Excuse me, I'm a little burpy today. Okay, my best friend started dating a new guy, Marcus, a few weeks ago. She seems really happy with him, so I'm happy for her. But something has happened that really bothered me. She started sharing everything that's going on in my life with Marcus. A couple of weeks ago, I went out on a first date and had sex with the guy, and my friend told Marcus. Last week, I ran into my ex on the street, and we ended up going for a drink, my friend told Marcus. Two days ago, I found out that my friend told Marcus about a pregnancy scare I had last year. I don't understand why they keep talking about me. It's so annoying and it makes me not trust my friend. I tried talking to her, but she said that it's normal for girls to tell their boyfriends about their friends' lives. I don't think it's normal. What should I do? Okay, first of all, it sounds like you lead a very fun life and I'm like low-key kind of jealous, just like running into exes on the streets, like fucking dudes on the first date. Like go off, girl. Like I'm so proud of you. Um, okay, I can relate to this so much. So when I was in my early 20s, like straight out of college, I dated this guy. Okay, let me give all these people fake names. So I had a best friend at the time who I've talked about on the pod before, and I think I called her Penelope before. So we're going to call her Penelope again. So this was like my best friend. And then I worked with this guy. Let's call him David. And David had a friend who didn't work with us um, named Dwight. And so David and Dwight lived together for a while. And that's when I met Dwight through David, my coworker. And then when Penelope moved to DC, which is where we all lived at the time, I was kind of seeing Dwight, David's friend, my coworker's friend. And um, they were going out one night. And so I was like, oh my God, David, my coworker is newly single. Like you should like come and meet him. Like he's so cute. Like maybe you guys would hit it off. They did hit it off. They're actually married now with multiple kids, but that's neither here nor there. Anyway, so the four of us would hang out all the time because I was seeing Dwight. She was seeing David. We were best friends. They were best friends. It was perfect. It was great. It was amazing. But I soon learned 
that Penelope was telling David so much shit about me and my life. And I mean, things like, I don't even know why they were talking about that. Like, for example, when I was in college, I dated a much, much, much older guy, much older guy. Like I, he was, to be specific, 30 years older than me. So when I met him, I was 20 and he was 50. Now, at the time, whatever, like I knew it was weird and I knew it was extreme, but I don't think I fully realized like how extreme that imbalance of power is and how it's like kind of like bordering on predatory on his part. I mean, I know I was like above the age of consent, but I was like younger than his eldest child, you know, like that. I don't know. Like I, I, in retrospect, I just feel like I was so young and he, like, I just can't imagine like being 50 and like fucking a 20 year old. I don't know, whatever. Neither here nor there. But, you know, once we broke up, like, and even during, like I had a lot of shame about it because I thought it made me look bad, right? Because that's kind of the environment that we grew up in. Like there was a lot of like slut shaming and a lot of victim blaming and things like that. And so I didn't want people to know because like I thought people would think negatively of me, especially, you know, at the time where David and I worked was a very conservative um, environment and it was not feminist and not pro-female and not like just none of those things. Right. So I knew those guys would judge me. And like, it's just like, it's so like we had been broken up for over a year. And I remember Penelope told David about that. And I was like, what? okay, A, how did this even come up? B, like you guys just started dating each other. Why are you sitting around talking about me and people that I used to date? C, he is close friends with this guy that I'm seeing. And I don't want the guy that I'm seeing to know all this shit. So like, why, like, why, like, why are, and I remember Penelope was like, oh, but like, David won't tell Dwight. And I was like, okay, A, yes, he will. Yes, he will. Like, if the situation was reversed, you know, you would tell me. So you know that he will. B, regardless of whether he is or isn't, like, why are you guys sitting around talking about me? Like, this is so fucking weird. So I just want to say, like, you do have every right to be upset. Like, it, it it's, it's, it's fucking weird. Um, okay. Just like as far as practical advice, I want to start here. Number one, from now on, anything that you tell her that you want to stay between the two of you, make that explicitly clear. So if there's something you want to tell her, be like, hey, please don't tell Marcus. Like, I don't want Marcus to know about this. I want this to just be between the two of us. That being said, you're going to have to figure out if she's actually capable of that. Because like, I don't know what it is that makes some chicks want to tell their partners everything. Do you know how often Ozzy and I talk about my friends? Pretty much never. Like unless like he knows them and there's something like just normal that we're talking about. Pretty much never. I mean, once in a while, like I might vent him about something, although not really because I don't really have problematic friendships. Like if I, okay, like for example, I'm trying to think like there was a girl I had a conflict with like a couple of years ago. So of course I like confided in him about that, but I wasn't sharing other people's secrets with him because he doesn't give a shit, right? Like why would I? And I'm sure Marcus, quite frankly, doesn't give a shit about you. Your friend seems to be like a little obsessed and preoccupied with you, but you know, that that's 
<laughs> I mean, that's that's just something to note. So like she might not be capable of keeping shit to herself. Like she might really just be kind of obsessed with you. So you might want to kind of think about a boundary like and you can say this to her, be like, hey, like if you don't stop talking about me with Marcus, like I'm not going to be able to confide in you and we're going to end up being less close. So you should be upfront about all of these things. But now I want to take a moment to really look at your own side of the street. And here's why. Even though I think that you were wronged in this situation and you really were wronged, it's still important to look at the other side. And there are so many situations in life where we something bad happens to us. Something someone does something bad to us. Someone objectively does something that's hurtful and we are objectively the victim. And in those situations, I think it's important to do two things. Number one, it's acknowledge that you were wronged, acknowledge that someone else did something wrong, acknowledge that you're the victim in this situation because we never want to do the toxic positivity. Oh, like, you know, just look at the bright side and it's okay. And like, blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. Take a moment, take a beat, be upset, be angry, feel all of the feelings, because you should, but then move on to step two and have a more empowered approach and really think about like, okay, this bad thing happened. Someone did this wrong thing to me. And even though it was wrong and even though it was bad and even though I have every right to be upset, also, how can I learn from this? How can I grow from this? Because if you just sit around and think about how other people wronged you and how you are the victim, even if you have every right to do those things, you're never going to grow and learn and evolve from that, right? Like we can sit here all day and talk about how your friend is so fucked up and your friend is clearly obsessed with you and your friend like you know like might be like single white female swim fan situation going on with you but what good does that do for you none how does that lead to your growth none like how does that help you step into a better version of yourself it doesn't at all so even if something bad happens to you even if you are the victim in this situation again I'm not trying to toxic positivity you and say like, oh, it's happening for you. It's not happening to you, but it is happening (laughs) to a certain extent for you, or at least you can get the most from it if you sit and look at like, okay, what's my contribution here? What role did I play? How could I have behaved better? And what does this say about my own subconscious beliefs, my own subconscious fears, my own subconscious sense of self-worth, my unprocessed trauma, all of these things that I can work through to get to a better place in my own life. So that's what we're going to do here now for a minute. It sounds to me like maybe you have some kind of um, shadow and repressedness about your sexuality only because all of the three examples that you listed of things that your friend was telling Marcus relate to sex and sexuality, right? There was like a guy that you slept with on a first date. There was a pregnancy scare and there was running into your ex, although you didn't say that you hooked up with your ex, but in a way, I hope you that you did because like good for you. It's, it seems like you have a great sex life. Um, but it does. My instinct is like maybe there's a little bit of shame there, right? Like looking back, the reason I was so upset that Penelope told um, David about the old guy that I dated 
was because I had so much shame around that because I was scared of how it made me look. Like nowadays, if one of my friends shared literally anything, anything about my life that I had confided in to her boyfriend, I might think it's weird. Like I might think like, why are you guys sitting around talking about my deepest, darkest secrets? secrets, but I wouldn't be upset about it beyond that because I don't really have secrets in that way anymore. Like there are things that I don't necessarily share like super publicly because they involve other people or because like I think there is such a thing as oversharing and I think that there's value in keeping things to ourselves. Like in fact, I probably should share a lot less than I do share. It's like, what don't I share? Actually, all I do is like get on a mic and blah, 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 blah all the time. But um, <laughs> but it would be very different for me now because I don't really have secrets. So it does really feel like you have some shame around this. And I would really unpack that because I hope this goes without saying, but like you've done nothing wrong. Like you're single, you're allowed to fuck on a first date. And even if you regret it later, you're allowed to make decisions that you regret. If like going and having a drink with your ex was a mistake, that's fine. You're allowed to make mistakes. Like it doesn't make you a bad person. It says nothing about you. Getting pregnant, bravo. Your body works. You 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 have solid fertility. Uh, congratulations. And, um, you know, however that situation ended, that also is well within your rights. Like you've done quite literally nothing wrong. There is no reason why you should feel any sort of shame about any of these things. So if you are feeling like some kind of way about people talking about these things. My guess is that you do have some kind of internalized shame about them. So I would work through that. And one way to do that is like, I don't know what your upbringing was like um, and how progressive it was, but maybe like doing a round of inner child work where you visualize an upbringing where you had really progressive and sex positive kind of parents who would talk really openly about these things. Maybe that's the type of thing that you need. I'm not sure exactly. Maybe you have some kind of like traumatic experiences of like being slut shamed and stuff like in middle school, high school, et cetera. Like I certainly experienced that. Um, You know, maybe you can work through those traumas, but something along those lines would be my guess. Um, damn, we are really, okay, I'm going to do one more and then I'm going to stop because, um, I don't want the camera to die. (laughs) Okay. Hi, I've been loving your pod and learning so much. I have a quick question about attachment styles. I've always thought that I had anxious attachment, but listening to your pod, I think I might actually have fearful avoidance. How can I tell the difference? Okay. So, um, with attachment styles, I know I say this over and over and over again, but I just want to make sure this is very, very clear. It's not like four distinct styles. What it actually is, is there are two spectrums within attachment styles. And then depending on where you fall on each of those two spectrums, it dictates kind of your attachment style. So one of the spectrums is the anxiety spectrum and the other is the avoidance spectrum. And so they intersect kind of like an XY graph, right? And so if you are low on anxiety and low on avoidance, that's quote unquote secure attachment. If you're low on anxiety and high on avoidance, that's dismissive avoidance. If you are um, high on anxiety and high on avoidance, that's 
fearful avoidance or disorganized. And if you're low on avoidance and high on anxiety, that's anxious attachment. Now, when I say low or high on these spectrums, that's an arbitrary thing. Like what, like who, like, like there's no metrics for this. There's no units for this. It's just kind of an arbitrary designation of where you fall. So, I mean, like looking at this XY graph, right? Let's say this is the avoidance spectrum and this is the anxiety spectrum. So if you're high on avoidance and high on anxiety, then you'd fall into the quadrant that is fearful avoidance or disorganized. But like, let's say you are this high on anxiety, but like right here on avoidance, you might not technically be in the fearful avoidant quadrant. You might technically be in the anxious attachment quadrant, but like your avoidance amount is just below that threshold that would put you into fearful avoidance. It's all very arbitrary. And at the end of the day, here's the truth. It doesn't matter. It actually doesn't really matter what your attachment style is. Because at the end of the day, all forms of insecure attachment are just a symptom of unresolved childhood trauma. So it really doesn't matter what specific designation we're giving to it because the way to work through it is the same regardless of what type of insecure attachment that you have. And that's really to work through that unresolved trauma, process it, so then it's no longer showing up in your life. So instead of like really getting into the nitty gritty of like, am I this or am I that? Instead of focus on the holistic picture, which really is to figure out what unresolved trauma you have that caused any sort of insecure attachment, regardless of what the designation is, and work through that. So like, for example, it's possible that you had the t- some of the types of trauma that would cause high avoidance and some of the types of trauma that would cause high anxiety. And these are really subjective and person to person. But generally speaking, and this is really, really generalizing, the types of trauma that cause high scores on the anxiety spectrum are having parents who were not attuned to your need for independence and autonomy. And the types of trauma that tend to cause high scores on the avoidance spectrum are um, parents who were not attuned to your emotional needs, who really were not able to um, accept any emotions, honor emotions, show love, show intimacy, show connection, right? And then specifically what tends to cause fearful avoidance or disorganized attachment is actually... um, more severe types of abuse, so like actual abuse, and having parents who were sometimes a source of safety, but also sometimes a source of fear. So it does kind of have its own thing, and it actually is by far the rarest form of attachment style. And most often than not, people who think they have disorganized or fearful avoidance actually have anxious attachment. What they're confusing as showing up as avoidance is actually anxious attachment protest behavior. But that's neither here nor there. 
Because again, like I said, it doesn't really matter. So what's really possible is that you had several different types of trauma in your childhood, including some that looked like the type of trauma that would cause avoidance and some that would look like the type of trauma that would cause anxiety. And so you probably have somewhat high levels of both anxiety and avoidance. So that could look like, for example, um, having a mom that was like really overbearing and helicopterish but having your birth dad be completely absent from your life. Or maybe um, having a mom that was like your best friend, but um, also was like, had a lot of anxiety and would sometimes be like really kind of like neurotic and emotionally unstable. Or um, maybe having two parents who are both really well attuned to your needs and like really great and really supportive with you, but you also witnessed them throughout your childhood get married and um, divorce and remarried and divorce and remarried and divorce over and over again. All of these incidents that are just three of like thousands, if not millions of different configurations that could possibly happen are the types of situations where you get some level of the type of trauma that you might get from, um, or the type of trauma that would cause high anxiety on an attachment scale, but also some of the types of trauma that would cause an avoidance on an attachment scale. So again, it doesn't really, I would get like a lot less into like, what's my attachment style? Like what? Like it's not a Zodiac sign. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't really, like we're not going to like pull up your natal chart. Like that's not what we're doing here. It's really just a snapshot of where you are at any given point in time with regards to unresolved trauma. So instead of like focusing on the symptoms of it, go back to the root cause and work through the root cause. Okay, I'm going to wrap up here because um, we've gone over an hour, I believe, although I actually can't see my screen that well, so I could be wrong. Um, and I don't want the camera to die. And even though I have some fucking fire questions left. We're going to save them for next month. And we're just going to do our gratefuls now and wrap up the show. And if it's your first time listening, we end every episode with gratitude. And the reason that we do that is because having a gratitude practice has been scientifically proven to make you a happier person. The only key is that you want to, every time you do this, and I recommend doing it daily, um, you want to list three new things that you're grateful for. You never want to repeat your yourself because it's the process of scanning through your day and finding things to be grateful for that's actually strengthening the part of your brain that looks for the good in life, which then makes you a happier person, more optimistic person, more pleasant to be around, better your job, yada, yada, yada. Okay. Um, I am grateful for having parents who actually, like, even though I talk a lot of shit about my family sometimes, they really are really supportive and really understanding in a lot of ways. Like, they give me a lot of grace. Like, they never give me shit for not coming home for the holidays. They never give me shit about having, like, a non-traditional career path. Like, there are so many ways that they are really, really supportive, and I really do want to take a moment and acknowledge that. Um, number two, I am grateful. Um, oh, I'm grateful that I live in New York and I have access to B&H, which is like the 
best store ever for like audiovisual type of equipment. Like the fact that I can just run up to B&H and it's like Disneyland for cameras, mics, all of this shit. Oh, it's a godsend. And um, I am grateful for this sweater. It's my first time wearing it. And I think it's really like cute and cozy. And I just love a sweater that has like an open knit where it's kind of sheer. Like I just think it's a really cute vibe. Um, okay. I invite you as you're listening along, I don't think I said this before, to say three new things that you're grateful for. So maybe take a moment right now and just rattle off three things that you're grateful for today, this week, in this exact moment. Just make sure it's three things that you've never said before. And um, don't forget, if you took something from this episode, please rate, review, subscribe. Please share the episode. Um, We do a giveaway every month where I randomly select from podcast reviews um, to get a free membership to the Blush Academy. So I emphatically recommend entering that. All you have to do is leave a review on iTunes or like Apple Podcasts or whatever you call it. Just go to the show page, scroll down until you see reviews and you'll see a button that says write a review. Just you want to scroll down kind of far to see it. And all you do is leave a review and then screenshot the review and email it to me, um, theblushpod at gmail.com and I'll enter you into the giveaway. And yeah, even if you've already entered, even if you've already left a review, please screenshot this episode and put it in your Instagram short stories, share it with people. That's how the show grows. That's how we can keep doing this. And per usual, I'm always grateful for you guys and grateful that you guys listen. And I love you guys so much. I hope you have the best week. And if you ever have questions that you want answered on the pod, um, DM them, email them, submit them on on the website. Oh my God, like I can't talk today. Um, And also if you have topics that you want covered, don't forget to reach out. Okay. I love you guys so much. Have a good one. Bye.